Okay, let's discuss a topic tonight, as here, as we broadcast from Camp Cayley, uh, a topic tonight that is both timely and timeless, uh, a topic that really has to do with uh, the time period that we're in this time of year. So we're into the uh, the three weeks between uh, Shavas Batamos and, and Tishabav. A week from tonight will be Rosh Chodesh Av, and uh, it's the time of year to both sp- think about and speak about the tragedies and to think about and speak about what we yearn for so much, and that's what we're going to focus on, really, um, tonight. Rosalvechik writes in, in one of his uh, essays, if you look at source number one, in Shiwi Harav, that Judaism, Yadus, does not believe, doesn't say it in these words, but uh, does not believe in the Pitgam Amami, in the saying, in the song, Ha'avar Ayin Ve'ha'asid Adayin Ve'ahovek Ha'eraf Ayin, well, the past is gone, and the future is not here yet, and the present is like a flick of an eye. So, what are you worried about? We don't believe in that. We believe that the past is here, and the future is here. We believe in reliving our pasts, and we believe in trying to experience our future, even before it occurs. There are many mitzvos that demand this from us. Right? The most famous mitzvah of re feeling again the past, right? Yes, that's a mitzvah, but really it's, you know, it's a, throughout the year. We're supposed to relive Kabbalah Satorah every day of our lives. We're supposed to relive the Adonai Kavad on Sukkot. We're supposed to relive so many different experiences on the one hand. But on the other hand, as we look ahead, we're supposed to try to imagine and put ourselves, when we yearn for the Beis HaMikdash, and we yearn for, and we try so hard to, to try to imagine, we can't even fathom, we don't even know what we're missing, that's what's so sad about our, our situation. But it's our job to try to imagine, to try to imagine the, the grandeur and the glory and the, the most beautiful building in the world, and, and the Ktores, which was the, had, the, which had such an aroma that, that people fainted. It was such an unbelievable aroma. And, and the, the, the Nisan that occurred in the base of Megdash was supposed to try to imagine it. So Vechik writes about experiential memory and experiential anticipation in source number one. And if you look in the end of the next page, just as the past can be experienced in the present, so can the future. Experiential anticipation means that the Jew anticipates an event not just as, not just because it is bound to occur, that would only be an intellectual anticipation. It means that the Jew becomes excited and rejoices and sings and dances as if an event which will first transpire on some unknown date in the future has already actually taken place. We get such sifcha. Sometimes we, we think about something in the future. We get so, we're so happy. I don't know whether it's a before a wedding. You know, you like you like relive it. You're you're living the wedding before you know the wedding takes place. You're living. We just went through my you know my, we had a bar mitzvah. So my son was like he was like mom till the day of the bar mitzvah. He was like he was there, right? It's like you 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 anticipate it, but you're living through the anticipation, and that's what Yahad this is about. Just to relate it, we mentioned in last week's parsha here that was the difference between Balak and Bilam. Balak says. Am Yatsami Mitzrayim, a nation that went out of Mitzrayim. What does Bilam say? Kel Motsiomi Mitzrayim. Balak, you think they're a nation that forgets their past. Yatsami Mitzrayim, Kel Motsiomi Mitzrayim. Zahir Sitzis Mitzrayim is forefront on their, in their minds. The miracles is something that they take with them throughout their, throughout their history. So, 
past and future is something that we experience in the present, what we're going to try to focus on for the next couple of minutes is one element of something that we yearn for and that we remember, and that is Malchus Beis David. Malchus Beis David, one of the uh, the basic basic tenets of our faith, right? uh, the a couple of the last, the last two animamins is all about the uh, right, and the last one is we think about what was and we yearn for what will be. I think I mentioned uh, in the <coughs> in one of the shir earlier in the summer that the smak, one of the Sefer HaMitzvos, Sefer HaMitzvos Katan, right, writes in the Mitzvah Aleph, he says, where is the source in the Torah for Tzipisa Yeshua? We know the six questions that the Gemara tells us in Shabbos Laman Aleph that we're going to be asked are they all have basis in the Torah. Kavati Itzma Torah, there's a mitzvah of Talmud Torah. And Asakta Bepiriviriv, there's a mitzvah of Puravu. And were you honest in business? There was a, there's a mitzvah of Midvah Shekatirchak. Where's the mitzvah in the Torah for Tzipis Yeshua? Hope for the salvation. Hope for Mashiach. Where does it say that in the Torah? Where does it say to be a good Jew you have to hope for Mashiach? Where does the Ramam get that from? Ani Mamin number 12. Right, but via Mashiach, where does it say that? So the smak says it's part of Anochi Hashem It's part of belief in Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Just like we believe Hakadosh Baruch Hu redeemed us, we know that Hashem redeemed us. Part of Emuna is that we know He will redeem us again. So Bez Hashem, ours, he ratzon that through the schus of our being osik in this uh, this topic, a, a little element in this topic, we should be zochet to to um, actually having Malchus Bezavid with us. Okay, let's get into the shear, and first we lay out the problem. The problem. What's the problem? As you see the topic of the shear, the impure lineage of Melech HaMashiach. Let's lay out the problem. The Gemara tells us in Masechus Yavamis, on Dafayin Vav, source number two. Armor lay doeg ha'adomi. Doeg ha'adomi. Picture the scene. Picture the scene. Anybody that's ever been to Beit Shemesh? It's about 15 minutes from Beit Shemesh. This scene took place. You have... Goliath is there, and all of Klai Yisrael is there, and he is daring anyone. Who's going to start up with me? Who's going to take me down? And everybody's worried, everybody's nervous, and nobody knows what's going to be. And little David, little David goes, all of his brothers were there, they start laughing at him. Oh, what's our little brother doing over there? And they start, oh, he brought us some food. Oh, he's, what's he doing? He's crazy. Goliath is going to squash him. Takes his little slingshot. And he fells the giant. Shaul HaMelech is there on the side of the, of the field with his binoculars. He says, who is that kid? What is going on here? Who is that kid? That's where we pick up the scene. On the battlefield, Shaul is on the sidelines trying to see who is this little boy who took charge. And, and, and they say, oh, this is what he is. He's a little David, David ben Yishai. And Shaul says, is he fit to be the king? Because David had promised that whoever fells the giant could marry his daughters, among other promises. So he says, is he right to be the king? Who is that? Is he of Yichus? Doeg Adomi, one of those few that the Gemara Sanhedrin tells us might have lost his Olam Haba. Only a few people like that. Call Yisrael Yeshlam Chedag Olam Haba. Few people every once in a while, the Gemara says, uh, might have lost it. So, Amalei Doeg Adomi, Ad Sha'atam Mashil Alav, before you ask whether he's right to be the king or not, right? ask whether he could be a Jew or not. Forget the king. Ask whether he could be Jewish. My time, what do you mean? What's the issue? He comes from Rus. Right? And Doeg says to Shaul, you know Parshas Kiseitse. 
You know what it says there? Lo yavo amoniu moav bipikal Hashem. It's before his pasuk in Chumash. Amon and Moav, no matter how great they are, they're not allowed to become Jewish. If you have an Ammonite, Bismanazeh, if somebody comes over to us and say, Hi, I'm an Ammonite, I would like to become Jewish. You know what we say? We say that you are allowed to become Jewish because we don't believe that he's an Ammonite. We don't believe he's from Ammon. Why? Because Sancher already mixed up all the nations. So nobody is believed to say they're Ammon, Moav, Hi, I'm a Girgashi. I'm sorry, I have to kill you. No, we don't believe anybody is from any of the nations, Bismanazeh. Okay, wonderful. But the din is, Lo Yavo Ammoni, this is before Sancheref. So Doeg says, this David, forget whether he can be the king. Maybe he can't even be Jewish. Says, Amrle Avner. Avner steps up and says, no, 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 Tanina, we have a Moavit. Only the males, not the females. The Gemara says the reason, because the males didn't do the chesed. Okay, so we explained. Says Doeg back, oh, you're going to tell me the Yisurim and the Torah only apply to the males? Elameata, mamzer velo mamzeres. What? All, you know, female, all males only, only, all these serum apply to males, right? Mitzri velo mitzris. So where I said, no, 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 this one's different. And there's a whole conversation taking place on the battlefield. And finally, Doeg asks a question that nobody really has the answer to. Shaiba and, um, Skip a couple of lines. Line seven. Boy, They're gonna. They. They. They're about to announce. Everybody, stay away from David. And all of a sudden, Amasa gets up and says, "Everybody, stop talking about this." Malamecha. The last two lines. Shechagar Charboki Yishmael. He took out a sword like an Arab. Va'amar. Call Mish Eno Magia Halacha Zuyit Karbacherev. I'm going to stab anybody who argues. I have the Messiah from Shmuel Anavi. Amoni Okay, the end of the day, we save David. We save David. David could be Jewish. Baruch Hashem. Let's take a step back for a minute. Okay, we saved the day. If we were writing the biography of Melech HaMashiach, of Malchus based David, would there be any controversy? Would there be any murky roots? Why does David have to... Okay, we say it with David, he could, he, he could marry in, and he could even be the king. But why did he have to have this in his background? Obviously, nothing in Yadus is, is mikra, it's coincidence. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu Dafka has it that David Amela comes from Rus. Okay, Rus is wonderful, it's Adekes, but Moab? Right? What, what exactly is the message? And if we think that it's just one time in history, a blip on the radar, there's a pattern to this murky nature. And as the, that is, of course, two earlier sources, two earlier stories in David Hamelech's past. If we go first, now go in chronological order, source number four, Perakutas, Lot and his daughters. Lot and his daughters. We know they thought the whole world was destroyed, and the older one says, "You know what? We have to uh, we have to do our part to keep the world going." So the older one uh, lies with the with uh, with Lot, and then the younger one, who comes from there, Amon and Moab, right? Those are the two boys, the two sons of Lot, Amon and Moab. This is where David Melech comes from. David Melech comes from Lot and his daughters. What is the message for us? And if we think that's it, if we continue a little more later on in Sefer Bracious, as we know, you, David Amalek is, 
is Yehuda. Shevet Yehuda, Yehuda and Tamar. Right, source number six. But Yehuda takes a son, uh, Er and Onan, Bechulu, and finally we know the story. Right, and Tamar says, Sad kami, uh, and, sh- and Tamar says, doesn't say who the, wa- who, who the father is, but Yehuda finally says, Sad kami mani, Bechulu. Again, this is, who, where do, and who do, who do they have? Who are the twins? Peretz and Zarach. Peretz, that's the Alta Alta, the, right, the great 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 grandfather of David Amelach. Right, so this is David Amelach's past. We have Yehuda and Tamar, we have Loden and his daughters, and we have Moab. So what exactly is the message for us? Again, HaKadosh Baruch obviously wants to teach us something. When you have cumulative evidence, then there seems to be, you know, seems to be something that we have to learn. If you have just one thing, okay, okay, who knows why. But you have, it's cumulative. So what exactly is the message for us? Before we suggest a couple of approaches, which will be the crux of what we'll talk about, just one ha'ara, and that is, we are not, specifically for the two stories that we just mentioned, we are noting that they are murky roots. We are not judging anyone in those stories. It could very well be, I'll just throw in one more story, which I forgot, Rus and Boaz. Another story of Dov and Amalek's past and lineage. That also, there wasn't like, you know, a shidduch date, and they met, and, you know, everything was fine and wonderful, and slowly they got to know each other, and then they got married. You know, what happened? Rus goes to the storage house and goes to sleep at his feet, and again, this is Dov and Amalek's Right? Great-grandmother. So what exactly is the message? So again, Ha'ara, before we start, we are not judging or suggesting about any players in any of these stories that they acted with anything less than L'shem Shamayim. But still, we could ask the question. Each one of the stories, we could suggest that they were L'shem Shamayim. Obviously, Tamar, Rashi says, that Tamar had a nevuah, that she knew that she was supposed to have Zerah Kodesh from this family. And if it wasn't going to be from the kids, it was going to be from the father. She had a nevuah. She was acting L'shem Shamayim. Rus, obviously, was L'shem Shamayim. And even the daughters of Lot. The daughters of Lot. The Medrash says, source number nine, Rav Kasher quotes it in the Torah Shlema. Rashi quotes a little bit of it also, a la Torah, that they thought the whole world was destroyed. They thought it was over. They were the only ones left. Right? There was a, right? It wasn't so long ago that there was a marble. Right? So they said, oh, it must be God. Hashem did it again. So, Right? They weren't trying to be a bimazana. Right, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world for Puravu, and now the world is Charav. So it must be that he left us alive in order to, to populate the world. So that is the, that is just a note before we start that everybody in their, in their respective stories, we are not suggesting did anything negative, but we can still ask the question. There's even, it's not on the sheet, but it's a, it's a scary story. Basically, uh, just uh, illustrating what we just said in uh, the Hakdama of the eighth volume, the first posthumous volume. Now there are two posthumous volumes. The first posthumous volume of the Igris Moshe. So there, in the in the beginning of Chelaches, uh, they have about thirty pages of biography about Rav Moshe. So there's one story that Rav Moshe used to say over to reflect 
that in not even so long ago, when he was a rav in Luban, where he was a rav before he became to the Lower East Side, there were people who were on certain levels. He told over the following scary story to teach us. So he says, Sorry, in 1922, one of the Balabatim in Ramosha's community, he was already rubbed there in Europe, um, you know, became very, very sick with a very strange illness. The illness was, his tongue blew up. And he couldn't close his mouth, and he couldn't breathe properly, he couldn't eat properly. His tongue became humongous. Kasher, talk of Alma, he was, he was towards the end. He said, I need to talk to Ramosha. I need to talk to Ramosha. Story's real. Ramosha told over the story. They called Ramosha, and Ramosha came, and the Chola said, everybody else out of the room. I gotta talk to Ramosha privately. Okay? Gotta talk to Ramosha privately. Say, so Ramosha goes over and he says, listen, Lidvarav Shavua Kodem Lachain. This is the, the person says, let me tell you why, why I have this sickness. Ramosha's like, okay. So he says, a week ago it was Parshas Vayera. And I told the, I said over a Dvar Torah. And I was very, very hard on the Benos Lotz. And I spoke about them in a very negative way. I can't believe that they were Two very, very old women came to me in a dream. Their heads and faces were covered. The Amru Shehain Benos Lot. And they told me that they were the Benos Lot. The Hosifu Vaamru Losha Shamwas Tainaso. They heard what I said. Ubaume Olamha Emes La Anoslo. And they came from the Olama Emes to stand up for themselves. Hey, this is Ramosha talking. Ramosha is not making it up. They could say, well, we were saved from stone, and they could have said, they could have said, you know why we said me'av? Because we wanted everybody to realize that it wasn't what others called an immaculate conception. It was me'av. There was a father here. That's why we named it that. And we thought the whole world was, was gone. And he go through all the different tainas. But they say at the end, because you weren't down and you didn't judge us favorably with your tongue, you will meet your end with an illness of the tongue. And then they disappeared and the next day this started and Ramosha, this is what happened and he did vidui and he died. That's right here. It's in the Igris Moshe. Moshe said over this story to, to reflect that even not so long ago, less than 100 years ago, there were people who had the levels of Rech HaKodesh. Either way, you can look up the story. For our purposes, it's just the Ha'ara, the introductory note before we get into the approaches are, we are not judging anyone in the, in the respective stories. But we still could ask the question, what's the message for us? So we are going to have, this is the Shir, four different ideas. Four ideas why exactly David Amela comes from these these roots. Number one is suggested by Rav Tachtel in the Ema Banam Smecha. Source number 12. Hine, Says Rav Tachtel, it's clear in the Sifrei Kabbalah. 
Sheba Ace, Shashem Yisbarach, Rotze, Laasos Ace, Dover, Godol Baolam. Whenever Hashem wants, or often, often when Hashem wants to bring something unbelievable to the world, a great matana, a great gift, something that the world really, oh, unbelievable, He garbs it in ugly and unseemly garb, so to speak. So that, we'll say it outside first, so that the prosecuting forces, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself created, can't stand up and try to prevent it from coming to the world. So that Midas Hadin can't stand up and say, do the Jews really deserve this? Does the world really deserve such a matana? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu kind of tries to get it under the rug so that the meat, the prosecuting forces don't, can't taina. Hashem garbs it in a lot of coverings. Even ugly and unseemly coverings. So that the prosecuting forces do not realize it. If it would it was given in public, and Hashem would make a big thing about it. So then, take up all on the country, the country. Midas Hadid would say, "How could this be? How could you give this to the world?" Says the Eim Habanim Smecha. Says that's Melach Hamashiach. Kodesh Baruch Hu wants to bring Malchus based David, Melach Hamashiach, to the world. He can't. He can't do it in a way where everybody realizes. So what does he do? Lot Yehuda. Moab! Oh, this is David. Yeah, right, it's David. Yeah, right, this is going to be the Goel. Right? Until it's too late, so to speak. And until that he's already here, and we already have our, our Goel, we already have Malchus based David, and in that way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu kind of brought it in without anybody knowing, so to speak. That's what he writes on line 9. Sha'asla HaKadosh Baruch Hu came k'de lahavi melech ha-Mashiach behesach Quotes this from the uh, from the other Achronim. Says says that's what he quotes that from. You have that in various um, contexts, and then he quotes this idea from the Magid Misharim. Who wrote the Magid Misharim? Yosef Cairo, right, one of the less right less known Svarim. Yosef Cairo is famous for his big three: the Shulchan Arach, Kesef Mishnah, and the Beis Yosef. The big three, but he also has a couple of other Svarim. He has Shuvas Avkas Rochel, there's other Shuvas, but he has a Shuvas, he has a Sefer, Magan Sharam, which is written in somewhat difficult Aramaic, of questions that he asked the Malach every night. He always had questions. The Magid was his Magid, who told him Meshuram, who told him answers. So Rabbi Yosef Cairo spoke to a Magid every night, or once a week, whatever it was, and uh, wrote a Sefer based on the answers that he received from the Magid Meshuram. So, the Imam Abad Nesmecha quotes on line 12, the Ayn Gamkim, the Sefer HaKadosh Magid Meshuram, the Hamalach Gila, the Rabbeinu Beis Yosef, through that, there is a, a kiyum that, that Davin Amela could last. He doesn't quote this, but this also might be the message, um, that question that might have bothered you in the past. What does it mean, Bisman, right, before the Yom Naram, we have many different actions or inactions that we do to trick the Satan. We blow shofar all of Elul, one reason, to trick the Satan. We stop on Erev Rosh Hashanah to trick the Satan. We don't bench Rosh Chodesh Tishrei to trick the Satan. 
We don't start Parsha's Bracious on Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, says the Lavush, to trick the Satan. What's all this trick the Satan, trick the Satan? What's all this about? So part of it might be this idea as well. Tishrei is an unbelievable gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. Imagine a life without a time of year for introspection, a time that we could think about our actions. We'll just go. There's never a time to, like, to stop and think. Rosh Hashanah is a gift. And that's why we also cover it up. We cover it up so that we realize, right, all gifts come in packages. Right? When you give a gift, why do you, why do you wrap it? Why don't you just give the gift? Because when you wrap something, it's, it's covered, it's hidden. So maybe that's an idea also behind the, uh, behind the idea of Rosh Hashanah. Just Derech Agav, the Ibn Abadim Smecha here is talking about the, uh, the 1800s, 1900s, that the, the beautiful gift of Eretz Yisrael might have been given back to us through people who might not have been um, people who stood for Torah and mitzvot, <coughs> but says the Ema Banim Smeicha, still that doesn't mean that it's not a, a matana. Okay, um, that's one idea. A second idea, a little more nigle-ish, and uh, let's focus on the, uh, leave Kabbalah for a moment. An unbelievable idea that's suggested by Rav Goldvich, the uh, founding Rosh Hashiva of, of uh, Karen Biavne. Let's learn for a minute... The review for a minute, the story in Perak Tezvav of Shmuel Aleph, the story of Shaul and Amalek, the Haftorah for Parsha Zachar. Remember, David Amal, uh, Shmuel Hanavi gives Shaul the command, you have to wipe out Amalek, and Shaul goes and he wipes out some of them, but not all. Pasaches, says Agag he grabs Agag live and he wipes out a number of them. Shaul has Rachmanus on the animals, the tzon and the bakar, the chulu, the chulu. Hashem comes to Shmuel and says, I am very upset. Hashem says to Shaul, you got to go tell Shmuel. She goes to Shmuel and says, you got to go tell Shaul that that uh, it's terrible, and he didn't fulfill my will. What happens, he gets up early, and he comes to Shaul, Pasuk Yud Gimel, Vayavo Shmuel al Shaul, Vayomer lo Shaul. Shaul sees him, and says, Shmuel, Baruch Atol Hashem, Hakimosi Estvar Hashem. Give me a little pat on the back. I did it. You told me, I did it. Vayomer Shmuel. Sarcasm in Tanakh, right here. Vayomer Shmuel. Do I hear animals here? Do I hear anything out there? And if you look, I want somebody once pointed out, it doesn't say, there's no nakudos here. It's ume kol hatzon, not uma kol hatzon. What's me? It's anamanapia. Meh. Right? Ume kol hatzon That's why it's meh here. Right? It's for effect. What's this? What are these animals? Vayomer shol. Shol says, what do you mean? These are animals from the Amalekim. I'm going to give them as karbanas. What's the problem? And there you have the famous line. Shmuel says, what do you think God wants more? Listening to him or your karbanos? That's what he says. Vayomer Shmuel. Where's the, uh, 
Where's the line? Oh, we'll get to it. Um, we'll get to it soon. Vayomer Shmuel for Shmuel says, "Hello, Imkatanatabeinecha. Are you small? Roshit to Yisrael. I told you the head of the nation. Vayimshachacha Hashem lamelech al Yisrael. Vayishlocha Hashem sent you to do a job and you didn't do it. Vayomalo shamata bechol Hashem. Why don't you listen?" Shaul says, "Pasachaf shamati." Vayelech b'nechadosh lacheni. I did it. What are you saying? Vayikacha am the am took from the spoils. Vayomer Shmuel. Here's the line. You think God wants your karbanas? He wants you to follow what he says to do. And we continue. Shaul then says to Shmuel, And finally Shmuel starts walking away. Shaul grabs his baguette. He rips it. And Shmuel says, You rip my baguette, the malchus will be ripped from you. That is the story of Shaul and Shmuel. What exactly was the root chait of Shaul? He didn't want that Amalek, that's true. But what was the root problem? What was the root problem? It's amazing Ha'ara. And this other Mepharshim say as well. Hmm? What? He thought small, exactly, but it's even deeper. If you look at the Psukim, there's a recurring theme. Recurring theme, he didn't act on his own. He acted based on the Am. And his actions were influenced by the Am. Look at the Psukim. Right? Well, Shmuel says, I did it. And Shmuel says, what did you do? And Shmuel says, I did it. And Shmuel says, no, you didn't. And Shmuel's like, you're right, you're right. I did it, but the Am, but the God took from the spoils. Shmuel says to him, you still didn't admit to me that you did it. You still haven't done shuva, vidoy. It's your fault, it's your fault. Finally, Pazachav Dalet. Chatasi, you're right, I sinned. But it's still with a because. Kiyaresias ha'am. I feared the am. Shmuel still doesn't accept it. And he starts walking away. And he rips the beged. And he says, I lost the malchus. And then finally he just says, Chatasi, I sinned. Shmuel says, okay, now I can walk back with you so you're not embarrassed, but you lost the malchus. Throughout this, you see, the chait was that Shaul did not act independently. He acted, what? Politics, exactly. He acted based on the Am. And this was also the earlier chait. He had an earlier chait. If you turn to source 14, the next source, in Parakut Gimel. There was an earlier chait. He was supposed to wait for a week to give karbanos in Gilgob. And Shmuel says, I'll be back in a week. And before Shmuel came back, he gave the karbanos. And Shmuel says, what do you do? He says, Shmuel says, well, the Am was dispersing. What was I supposed to do? The answer is, you should have told them, don't leave. But he was influenced by the Am. Suggests now, Rav Goldvicht, says, Shaul was not a successful king. He was a great tzaddik, the Gemara, right? He was a blochet at the beginning of his life. But he was not a successful king. Why? Because a successful Jewish king, any king, but a Jewish king has to rule over his brethren. Has to rule over the Am. And Shaul didn't do that. David did. But what gave David that ability? This is only if he, he says it, so we could say it. Naturally, it's not a Jewish Midah to rule over fellow Jews. The Gemara says in Yevamis, I gave it to you in the next source, right? The three Midas of every Jew. Rachmanim, Baishanim, Begom, Lechasadim, right? Rashitevas Chaver, right? Source number 16, right? Naturally, Jews don't rule over Jews. David HaMelech needed a little Moavite blood in him in order to be a successful king. 
That's what he quotes this from the Shemi Shmuel, and he expands upon it. That's why he had to come from Rus. Doesn't explain all the questions, but suggests Rav Goldberg. Now back to source fifteen. The Indian Malucha Lohaya Nimsa be Yisrael. It's not a natural idea to be a king. Remember, it might not even be a good thing for the Jews to ask for a king. Right? They asked for one. That's the washing of the Shemi Shmuel. We're all part of one guf. That's the washing of the Ritva in Brachas. We're all kaguf echad. We're like one body. Our right arm doesn't rule over our left arm. So naturally, we can't rule over each other. David HaMelech, to be the successful king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to put in him some non-Jewish blood, so to speak, some Moabite blood, in order to then take that and be a success- and, and take the other Midos that David HaMelech had, obviously, and rule properly. Remember, when we think about our children, what we want them to be, we don't want them, being the king is not like what parents think about. They think about being a tzaddik. Being a king, that's for David HaMelech, okay. But that's not the goal of every Jew. It's for David HaMelech and Malchus based David. That had to be. We needed that in order to have a successful Melech. And that's exactly the problem with Shaul. Was the problem with Shaul. So why would he become king if he didn't have the attributes? It's an excellent question. It's a big question in the Rishonim. Well, when they asked for a king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want them to give a king. He got very angry. It could be, in some conceptual way, David was supposed to be the first king. The Jews asked, to, they jumped the gun. Right, Shmuel got angry, Akadosh Baruch Hu got angry. Shaul was the stopgap measure. It could have been, there are some Rishonim that say, there's a Me'iri in Harios that says, maybe if Shaul could have been somewhat successful, that there could have been two lines. He would have, like, held the line for a couple of generations until Tabat Melech came. Okay. Either way, says the Shemi Shmuel, Balachem line 6. That's the, that's the unbelievable thought of the Shemi Shmuel expanded upon by, by Rav Goldberg. Where else do you see this? Amazing. There's a story, another story, Shmuel Beis, Perak Vav, David HaMelech is bringing the Aaron back to Yerushalayim. After all these years, bringing it back from the, uh, comes back from the, uh, from the Plishtim, it comes back from the um, um, Beit Shemesh, he's bringing it back to Yerushalayim. And we say in Pasuk Yudalid, David is dancing in front, as we know, in front of the Aaron. Dancing and schwitzing and he's going all out in front of the Aaron. And what happens? Pasuk Tezayin, Aaron, Hashem, David is coming to Ir David. Michal the daughter of Shaul, is looking out of the window. Who was that? David's wife. Well, we don't, we don't know who she is yet. That's to say, Basha'ul, number one. Number two, why don't you just, doesn't it say, Michal Eishas David? It said, Michal Basha'ul, as if we're emphasizing something. She looked out the window. David And she sees the king dancing, David, and she became disgusted. She became disgusted at what David was doing. And... What happens? They bring Karbanis and they bring, uh, they have the whole parade. David comes home after the long day. Oh, she's right, falls onto the couch. Oh, honey, what an unbelievable day that was. Wasn't that amazing? What was, wasn't that awesome? 
Vatetei Michal Bashal, and Michal comes out and says another sarcastic line. Vatomer, Manichbar Hayom Melech Yisrael. What a great day this was! The king of Israel bared his forearms in front of the whole nation. How awesome! That's what she says. Let's look at the conversation. It doesn't make sense, at least until we think about it. Vayomer David El Michal. David answers Michal. Lifnei Hashem asher bachar bimei avicha umikol beso tzavos al sinagid al am Hashem v'shulu v'sichachto lifnei Hashem. Yeah, Hashem chose me instead of your father. Remember that. That's the conversation. Right? That's the conversation. David dances. Michal Bashaul is thinks it's it's terrible what he's doing. He's burying himself. He's schwitzing and rolling up his sleeves in front of the whole nation. He comes back. She says, how can you do such a thing? David says, I'm the king, not your father. What's going on here? Says the Yalkut Shimoni. Yalkut Shimoni on Shmuel. Right? We don't have Medrash Rabbah on Navi. We have Medrash Rabbah on the five books of the Torah and on the Chamish Megillos. But we have Yalkut Shimoni on all Tanakh. So in the Yalkut, in Source 18, what he, they, the Yalkut adds in the conversation. Your father was interested in what everybody else was thinking. That was exactly his problem. I don't really care what everybody else thinks. I do what's right. I do. I, I want to I schwitz and I want to dance in front of the Aaron. I'm going to do it. I don't care what people are thinking. My actions are not based on the Am, like your father's were. Same idea. And one final. So we have David Amelech versus Shaul in terms of the Chatoim. We have this story making perfect sense in light of our understanding. And one final point, and that is from the Sefer Ho'ikarim in Rabbi Yosef Albo in Source 19, where he talks about a question, right? He's a Rishon. Rabbi Albo asked the question, why is it that Shaul HaMelech lost the Malchus because of his Chatoim? David also was not perfect. David had his own chatoim too. Right? The entire Shmuel Beis is all about the punishments that David received for his chatoim. Right? His kids murdered each other and were mezana with each other and tried to kill him and tried to rebel. David and Melech had an extremely, probably, could be, I don't know, David and Yaakov Avinu, they're both up there for the, the hardest lives of, and people, uh, Eov also, but that's separate. But uh, David and Yaakov, for Tsaris in their life, I mean, Unbelievable. David, you think David Amalek wrote to Hillam and you read it, right? He's sitting there, beautiful, no, no, no worries. I mean, think about David's life, but it was all about punishments. The Chazal say for David, what happened with Bathsheba? But he didn't lose the Malchus. Why not? Shaul did a cheder too, he lost the Malchus. David was also chot, he didn't lose the Malchus. Says the Sefer Karma, it was a different type of chet. David had personal chatoim. We all have personal chatoim. Okay. If personal chatoim, we're going to get punished for them. Shaul's chatoim related to his being the melech. And that's why he had to lose the malchus. They weren't just personal. They had to do with the am ruling over the am or letting the am rule over you. This was all idea number two. It's getting late. We're going to have the two. The next two ideas are somewhat uh, short, so we'll do them right now. Okay, that's what he says at the end of line source 19. So we have number one. The approach that we have, why David Amalekh needed this, was Afi Kabbalah, because when he brings presents, he garbs them with, with unseemly materials and clothing. Number two is this idea that David Amalekh needed a little, little moav in him. Again, because it's not naturally Jewish to, to be, to be this way. 
And we're not supposed to be this way. Only a king. Only a king. He's the only one that has that power. Approach three, which kind of works together and opposite but parallel with approach number two. It's a medrash, but it's Chizkuni quotes it. Chizkuni, even a Gemara. Let's look at the Gemara first. The Gemara tells us, I'm Rav Yudah Shmuel. Rav Yudah says in the name of Shmuel. Why did the Shol HaMelech Malchus not last? Because what we would say, he had no skeletons in the closet. He had nothing that was holding him back. You know what the greatest leaders are? It's those that literally have a bag of shrutzim hanging on their back. If they think that they're so great, we just say, look behind you. In other words, positions of authority, many times, as we know, could go to people's head. And they could run with it. And the elastic authority that they have, it could just make them become baligaiva and misuse and abuse their power. So says the Chazal, the greatest leaders are the ones that have to look back and say, you know what, maybe I'm not so great. Maybe, look where I come from. David HaMelech can never think of himself as a, right, what does he say? I need Tolas Veloish, he says in, in Tehillim. David HaMelech always realized his roots. He realized where he came from. And maybe because of approach number two, because he was given this mow of blood to be able to rule over his fellow man, he needed the balance of also having Yehuda and Tamar and Loda and the daughters to keep him in check, to make him realize that, you know, he's still a human being, he's still a Jew, and it's got to all be L'shem Shammai. The same exact idea is suggested by the Chizkuni in a different context. Moshe Rabbeinu. Everything about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's parents. Who are Moshe Rabbeinu's parents? Amram and Yocheved. Amram and Yocheved, that's a nephew and an aunt. Nephew and an aunt. Right? Amram, as the answer to a trivia question. I asked this in one of the Shiram yesterday. Moshe Rabbeinu's grandfather and great grandfather were the same person. You ever think about that? If you're listening, you can stop the tape and think about it for a minute. But, uh, a tape is, uh, I'm dating myself, but you can stop the Shir. Moshe's grandfather and great grandfather were the same person. Levi. His maternal grandfather was Levi, right? Moshe Yocheved Levi. His paternal great-grandfather was Levi. Moshe Amram Kahas Levi. So from two sides, his grandfather and his great-grandfather were the same person. But if you look at it that way, his parents were a nephew and an aunt. That's an Isser Daraisa. Moshe Rabbeinu's parents, it was before the Torah was given, but Moshe Rabbeinu's parents were a relationship which the Torah was going to asser pretty amazing too. Says the Chizkuni, quotes this Gemara in Yuma. So Moshe also had a Kupershel Shratzim behind him. Moshe Rabbeinu also had something to keep him in check. Moshe had the din of a melech. Yeshua ben Nun had the din of a melech. So they all had this behind them. And this is even why, says the Ran in the Drasha, we're going to quote this in a Parsha Shir in a couple of weeks, Parsha Shoftim. Um, the Ran writes in a Drasha that that's why the king had a mitzvah to have two Sifrei Torah, not just one like every other Jew. He had to have a Sefer Torah with him wherever he went. Right? Because when he wanted to say, I want to build a highway right through your backyard, the Seber needs it, got to make sure that he's doing it L'Shem Shemayim. Right? That's the, um, that's the Chizkuni. Just want to get through one more and then, uh, and then we'll stop because it's getting late. That's the third idea. Let's get to the fourth and final idea. 
We started off with the word uh, Rav Salvechik, so we'll finish off a fourth idea with the Rav Salvechik from his Safer Days of Deliverance about um, Pesach and Pesach and <coughs> I think it's in Yarni Pesach, I don't remember. I think it's uh, maybe it's Purim and Hanukkah. I don't remember which one it was. It was the one that's called Days of Deliverance. Says Rav Salvechik there, there's something parallel between Lot and his daughters, Yehuda and Tamar, and I'll throw in Rus. And that is, in each of the stories, the outlook looked bleak. And it was pretty depressing. And it was dark and gloomy. And it looked very... A pessimistic attitude would be very natural. But all of the players through these stories symbolized hope and positive feelings and being able to look beyond the cloud in front of the situation right there. A pair of vulgar, unwitting young girls, the daughters of Lot, were the sources of the power to begin everything anew. They believed the whole world was destroyed. It was up to them to recreate it. True, they did it in a horrible way, but their primitive intention was good and demonstrated a remarkable strength of spirit. That strength is the foundation of the kingdom. He talks about David HaMelech, and he continues... Continues. This is all the stories. And this is what we do. There are so many halachos. He quotes, we know Rahman al-Islam. We bury somebody right after a kvura. At a kvura. What do we do at a kvura? We start saying Kaddish. At a kvura. We say Yiskadal, Yiskadash, Shmei Rabbah. God's name should be glorified. It should be, right, we should go back to Triasa. We, we should have Triasa Mesim, right? The only Kaddish, Kaddish we only say at a Siyam and at a kvura. Right, we yearn for Tchiasamesa right after we bury somebody. In the face of the ultimate question, the ultimate chok, the chok of death, we're able to, a Jew is able to say that. One minute after the earth is laid on the grave, condolence and affirmation of belief in the restoration of a Jerusalem. Right, we sit on the floor on Tishabov, but a couple hours later, what do we do? We dive in and we say, Dear Shuashem Bihi Karov. And look at the next the paragraph. Another naive and simple woman, Tamar, showed the strength of waiting and hoping, of having faith even when she became the subject of mockery. She couldn't tear herself away from him. Something faithful, incomprehensible tied her to him. Something larger would come of it. She made the desperate, imbecilic decision to sit at the crossroad of a chulu, a chulu. And her salvation says, every generation, we're full of Tamars. Every generation, that's the Jewish people. Everyone laughed and mocked, saying, God has long forgotten you. Thousands of years have passed and the divine promise is not fulfilled. Yet the Tamars keep waiting. This is the symbol of Malchus based David. The entire Jewish people, but Malchus based David symbolizes for us hope and future feeling. And it's even just closed with the Slonim Rebbe says, I gave it to you in the next source, that the uh, Pasuk says in, in Shmos, by Basya, the Pasuk says, I'll just read, he quotes the Pasuk, Vatirehu, she sees in the basket, Vihine na'ar boche, Moshe's crying, Vatomer, and she says, Mialdehe ah, a Jewish child. How'd she know he was Jewish? So Chazal say, ah, he had a brismila and the whole basket was lit up. Says the son of Rabbi, no, just based on the Pasuk. She looks in the basket, he was crying, ah, he's a Jew, because a Jew cries differently than everybody else. A Jew cries, not a Bechi shel Yeush, but a Bechi of Tikva, and a Bechi of hope, and a Bechi of knowing that there's going to be a better time. It says, that's what all of these stories have in common, 
And that's what David HaMelech symbolizes also. What we daven every Friday night on L'Chadodi. We daven, right, also about David Ben Yishai and Ben Parsi. Right? We daven so much because that's the hope that we have on Shabbos when we can think clearly and we daven for Mashiach as we daven throughout the week. So again, our little ASEC tonight, the four different ideas about why David HaMelech had to have such murky roots. A, the Kabbalistic idea of great things many times are covered in in uh, unseemly clothing in order to Kodesh could get it in under the rug. Number two, the idea of the Shemi Shmuel, expanded upon by Rav Goldvicht, that David Melch needed a little Moabite blood in him to be a successful king, and the contrast to Shaul. Number three, it's always good to have something to be scared of, a skeleton in the closet to te- keep the king in check. And number four, the idea of hope and renewal and looking towards the future. So, B'schus Ar Eisek, in this sugya of El Hashem, we should be zolcha to not only yearn about it, but to be able to celebrate with Malchus based on it.